athletes from across the world are coming to where we are in East London. So this month, we're offering vegan perspectives on the Olympic Games. I'm hunting vegan Olympians. I don't know if you're athletic enough to catch them, Ian, and I think they might be a little stringy. A vegan author and dietitian carried the Olympic torch on the way to the Games, and she talks to us about the Olympics. I ask my local anarchist vegan cafe volunteers what they think of the Games and investigate the controversy of the use of animals in the opening ceremony. And meet the father and daughter who are keeping the London Games supplied with vegan mincemeat. With Diana Fleischman and Ian MacDonald. Hours away from the opening ceremony, minutes away from the Olympic Park, this is the vegan option. that someone would want to know about Olympics from a vegan perspective is who were the vegan Olympians? American tennis player Venus Williams has told the world about the raw vegan diet she uses to to manage an illness. But she confesses to cheating and calls herself a chigan rather than a vegan. I thought a chigan was a vegan who was in favor of Che Guevara. Anyway, so Venus eats a mostly plant-based diet. What about the photos of her sister, Serena, with the Wimbledon singles trophy that have circulated on Facebook and claim her as a raw vegan? I tracked those reports back to a couple of quotes about supporting her sister, Venus, in a couple of less reliable papers and websites. So I asked Serena Williams' people. A publicist told me only that Serena was, quote, more raw than vegan, but it is quite close. I'm not really sure what that means since raw vegans, all the raw vegans I know are vegan, more vegan than anyone else, really. I'm not sure either. I tried to get clarification, didn't get a reply. Now we've fulfilled our stereotype about nitpicking about whether or not someone is really vegan. If you need to prove to people that vegans have no problem getting enough protein, the Williams sisters are probably close enough to do that. In the dark ages of 1992, when Ian first turned vegan, we had two Olympians on a vegan diet, the famous runner Carl Lewis and the less well-known British cyclist Fiona Oakes, who now runs an animal sanctuary and lots of marathons. With thousands of athletes in London, surely there are more vegans. Most Olympians are part-time, amateur, under the radar, and let's face it, not likely to speak English. No reason why they would. So I probably missed some, and I'd welcome you around the world, letting us know about any vegan Olympians that you know about. A lot is down to the choice of Olympic event. United States sprint canoeist and ethical vegan Pam Botella should, I think, be at the Olympics. Why isn't she? Because the only men's sprint canoeing is an Olympic event. Yeah, I think it's probably really hard to run carrying a canoe. That's not quite how it works. But she did race against the men in the USA and win, but not, alas, in the Olympics. What about our friend James Southwood, one of the world's top French kickboxers and vegan? Is Savat, French kickboxing, not an event? It's only an event when when Paris hosts the Games. Mm, They nearly got the Games this time. That would have been fine by me. And there are other vegan elite athletes who didn't quite get into the team, like... Australian boxer Emily Jans or American track cyclist Jacqueline Quist. There are a lot of other vegan athletes like Scott Jurek and ultramarathon runner Brendan Brazier. But ultramarathons are not necessarily a vegan superpower. 
If he ended one, he would either die from the strain or from lack of tea, but he'd definitely get sunburned. Citizens, celebrities, and a few sponsors have carried the Olympic torch flame up and down Britain. One torchbearer, Sandra Hood, is not just vegan, but the registered dietitian who wrote the book on vegan infant nutrition. One of the patients in the local group nominated me to carry the torch for my work as a dietitian, my work with diabetes, and my charity work. Uh, I do work for, obviously, the Vegan Society and for Compassion and World Farming, the local group Compassionate Dorset. Can you tell us what it was like uh, to be the torchbearer? Oh, it's so exciting. It was, I felt quite humbled, really, because there's only 8,000 people who get nominated, and there's so many people who do such wonderful work. So I did feel quite humbled and also a bit of a fraud, really, carrying the torch. But it was a fantastic experience, and so many people were out in the streets in the pouring rain supporting the torchbearers, and it was just lovely to meet other torchbearers and hear their stories of how they got there and how they got nominated. And it was just lovely to be part of the Olympics, really, because uh, it's something I believe in. I think we should be fitter as a nation, and as a vegan, I think it's so important to be physically well. Um, so doing plenty of exercise is so important. So sort of tell me minute by minute what was it like when you when you went and, and were handed the torch? A little bit more of the specifics. So we were all put on a coach, and the first torchbearer got started there where we met on the coach and he then carried the torch and ran down the road and we were we were in front of him in the coach and then I got off the coach ready to to greet him with the torch and so as he ran up to me with his lit torch I then we touched torches and then my torch was lit and then for me to run the only 300 yards it's really short 300 meters so you didn't um, have to train for this at all <laughs> no not at all Although saying that, I I do do marathons and running is my, my relaxation. I love running. So that you were just training reason. by holding up a can of like baked beans or something, <laughs> does? <laughs> no, but saying that actually, I was so worried about dropping it, and it was quite top heavy with the the gas canister in the top from where they can actually ignite the you get the flame ignited. Oh, it was quite so, heavy. So it was quite heavy, and I was just a bit worried about dropping it. So I was there carrying it with two hands, where you look at other people who seem to very confidently carry it with just one hand, running along the road, waving with the other. Well, having a fumble would be uh, would be a terrible thing. Exactly. Were you were you like in a poncho, or what were you wearing out in the rain? Yes, it was like, and um, there's been lots of jokes about the outfit, but it was like a white shell suit with a gold stripe down it, quite obvious. It's good, really, because then you could be seen and you all look the same and um, not particularly flattering, but then you're not there to be on show, really, as such. Yeah, yeah, it's quite comfortable, just white sort of um, jogging suit, really. Keeps the rain off? Uh, Not really, but it was quite warm. (laughs) We were offered ponchos while we were waiting, but they didn't want you to wear a poncho when you're actually running with the torch. Just fair enough. Given that you're a torchbearer, you're probably pro-Olympics, I'm thinking. But tell us about your opinions about the Olympics generally, uh, since so many people in London seem to be against the Olympics. Well, I think the Olympics is wonderful. I think it's great for everybody to come together and think about being active and to embrace sport. But my concern is the major sponsors are Coca-Cola and McDonald's. And it suggests that Coca-Cola with their sugary drinks and McDonald's with their beef burgers 
is what sports people should be drinking and eating, which I think is awful. But they're the ones that have got all the money, and would the Olympics go ahead without them sponsoring? I just don't know, really, but I think it's such a shame that they are the main sponsors. We'll get back to Sandra on some of the diet stories of the Games in a moment, but let's hear some more opinions on the Olympics. And I went along to Pogo Cafe, the, the local vegan anarchist cafe in, in the Olympic borough of Hackney for Sunday dinner a couple of weeks ago. I also asked the volunteers who run it what they thought of the Games. You look like everybody has a local vegan anarchist cafe. <laughs> don't they don't? <laughs> I think it's I think it's quite a horrible thing really it's 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 uh it's so tiring tiresome uh it's really uh so um the, the Olympics brings a lot of development to Hackney um but with everything that goes on in the capitalist society any form of development it's sold as a wonderful thing and in the end the rich get richer and the poor get poorer um, I'm from South Africa and we obviously had the World Cup and which was two years ago and we're still in massive debt because of it and yes it did bring about some tourism and some good stuff but in the end FIFA took all of the money just like what will happen here and we'll just be left in more debt than we're already in which we can't afford to be in. Personally I have enormous interest in playing sport but extreme boredom in watching it because it's like watching someone else have all the fun, really. Well, those are really interesting opinions. I heard via economics podcast Freakonomics about a University of Chicago study that agreed with the South African volunteer that Olympics don't help host cities. And the guest on that podcast even implied that losing the bid for the Olympics might be better for a city than winning it. Rudy, who runs vegan shop V-Cross, also complained on Twitter about expected delivery problems and fewer tourists frequenting his shop over the next few weeks. Potential transport hassles make me want to head back to Portsmouth, where I lecture, and where it's going to be a lot quieter than here in London. We took the chance to talk with Sandra Hood about a couple of athletic diet stories. Firstly, Venus Williams. Um, Her illness is Sjogren's syndrome. Her immune system is attacking her saliva glands and tear ducts. Some raw food advocates say a raw vegan diet is good for autoimmune disorders like that. I think having a serious illness like that, I can understand her wanting to look at the actual uh, a perfect diet that can provide with all the nutrients that's unadulterated and can be as pure as possible. And certainly a raw food diet means that you're going to have pure food, unadulterated, but there isn't any evidence to show that a raw food vegan diet is any more beneficial than a mixture of raw food and cooked food vegan diets. But I think often people go to the extreme to hopefully cure or help with their condition. And I'm sure she's getting lots of benefits from having a raw food diet. But I think that from a health point of view, I can't see that she'd necessarily get any more health benefits from such a diet. News also came in about the Chinese volleyball team. Clenbuterol, a drug used to produce leaner meat and improve lung function in livestock, can taint meat and is a banned Olympic drug. The women's Chinese volleyball team didn't go vegetarian, but they dropped most meat from their diet to preclude having a positive drug test, and they blamed this for subsequent poor performance. 
Yes, I was very intrigued to hear about the Chinese team who had cut out meat from their diet and said that they felt their performance had gone downhill. They didn't have this strength and energy. What probably happened was that they didn't know where to get their protein from. They perhaps didn't have enough calories, didn't have enough energy. So the body would then use protein for energy and not for what it needs to be used for. So at the end of the day, it's probably they didn't have enough knowledge about how to get adequate calories for their performance. That theme, that risk of something in food triggering a positive drugs test, is something Olympic Supplies Fries had to deal with too, as we'll find out later. There's been a lot of controversy about the use of animals in the opening ceremony, and Ian's been looking into that as well. Ever since the London Games organisers announced that they would include farm animals in the opening ceremony, the UK's animal advocacy organisations have been campaigning against this use of animals for entertainment. Organisers promised 12 horses, 3 cows, 2 goats, 10 chickens, 10 ducks, 9 geese, 3 sheepdogs and 70 sheep. Animal advocates, including Peter as well as national UK groups, say the ceremony will stress and scare the animals, as well as present a bucolic myth that is, quote, about as believable as the set of Teletubbies. Wait, you mean the Teletubbies aren't real? On June the 27th, ceremony director Danny Boyle... Better known for directing films like Slumdog Millionaire and Trainspotting... ...wrote back to Peter founder Ingrid Newkirk, trying to reassure her about the welfare of the animals and also saying he had not considered her point about the retirement of the animals, but, quote, will now follow that up vigorously. But on Thursday, July 19th, the overall director of ceremonies, Danny's boss, wrote to say the animals were hired from specialist suppliers of animals for entertainment, to whom they would return. It's probably better to use animals accustomed to entertainment if you're going to use animals in a ceremony at all. I was around a lot of animals in my youth. I worked in a horse barn, and some of them, especially horses, get spooked fairly easily by loud noises, by unfamiliar objects, or even by other animals, horses that would get spooked by goats or sheep. But it's also really odd to me that a country that's come really close to banning the use of wild animals in circuses would use farm animals in a recreation of the countryside. I don't think anybody would pay to see that if it wasn't part of the opening ceremony. I wanted to talk with the organisers about the picture the ceremony painted and did invite them onto the show for an interview. But the spokesperson simply gave us their line on animal welfare, that the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was advising them on how to look after the animals and that the organisers, quote, confirmed that the animals in the opening ceremony returned to their natural surroundings. And by natural surroundings, I'm sure they just mean that they're going to be taken back to the way the entertainment companies who own them keep them. But I was wondering, does the RSPCA endorse using animals for entertainment? Overall, they are interested in defending animal welfare rather than abolishing animal use. The RSPCA did tell me they were against the use of animals in entertainment, like the opening ceremony, but also run a consultancy for, for people who use animals in entertainment. That's a little bit like somebody who disagrees with alcohol consumption owning a bar. We have a copy of the exchange between the animal advocates and the game organisers, who, to give their proper name, I should call LOCOG. The London Organising Committee of the Olympic and Paralympic Games... Thanks. Now, Danny Boyle's boss, overall ceremonies director Bill Morris, 
also stressed about how their actions were, quote, overseen by the RSPCA, who would, quote, ensure that the RSP advice was followed. He said the decision to involve them was taken before the decision to use animals was confirmed. What did the RSPCA say? Their spokeswoman told me that the RSPCA was approached subsequent to LOCOG's decision to use animals. I've asked both groups for dates and more clarity, but haven't had an answer yet. I will blog about this as information emerges. You might be wondering why this focus on just over 100 animals, including sheep and goats and chickens, when so many more will be killed for food at the games and their plight will be so much less visible. Well, there are 10 chickens in the opening ceremony. Extrapolating from low-cog numbers, each of those chickens represents 2,000 that would be fed to people attending the games. I put this to Peter. They did mention that they would also be sending supporters to the Olympic Park to ask people to go vegan. No, really, did they? Yes. Naked supporters. Painted gold. That's cruelty to animals. I imagine that gold paint chafes quite a lot. And imagine in this warm weather. Mm. So, but you might have seen the opening ceremony by the time you hear this. Let us know what you think with the comment at theveganoption.org. Obviously, this story is far from over. We expect 100 animals in the opening ceremony, but 100 tons of animals on the plates of attendees. I travelled to England's south coast and met the father and daughter who were trying to reduce that by sending a few tons of South African vegan mince to the Olympic Games. Mince? Minced up meat. Hello, I'm Hello. McDonald's. Hello, um, Ian. I'm Pat. Come Hi, in. Pat. Go on up. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Yeah, there's just uh, two of us, me and Pat, who's also my dad, um, and we've just started um, supplying 3663, which is the food service industry. Um, so we've just recently taken on another guy called Kevin Todd, um, who is the account manager for 3663. So if you're willing to dress up like a polar explorer, you can provide a whole country with a new range of vegan pies, mince and sausages. Confusing that the brand name sounds like French fries, as they say in London, in it. And if Ian was willing to bend his journalistic ethics and accept a few samples, he could have dropped them off with me and fed me all week, isolated in the not quite desert, but almost vegan desert of Portsmouth. So I called the team just as Kevin was zipping up for their deep freeze. So um, it's just to keep us as warm as possible in temperatures down to about minus 20 degrees centigrade, which is quite cold, especially on a beautiful day like today. When uh, you look out the window and it's uh, probably one of the best days of the year, which we've had a soggy year, and uh, we can spend it in a nice freezer. You know, um, even when you come out of the freezer and it's snowing outside, it is, it, you feel warm. So when you come out from like minus 20 and you go into like, you know, minus one or two, it feels warm. That's how freezing it is in there. Mm. Whereas today, it's probably up in the 20s, so the difference is going to be something like 40 degrees centigrade by the time we come out. So uh, we get dressed to go down like this, but as soon as we come back up, excuse the expression, it all comes off. <laughs> Not a pretty sight. 
uh, we had a health food shop. There was another person who started um, importing fries into the UK before us. And so we, we used to buy it off them and sold it in the shop. Uh, they decided not to do it anymore. So um, we took over the import and it got so busy we had to actually um, close the shop and just concentrate on importing fries. This is the shaver. You see, racking five pallets high and it's currently running at minus 20 degrees. And how many of those pallets are fries? Uh, there's about 60 pallet loads in there at the moment, yeah. Um, we order a 40-foot container, uh, which contains 22 pallets of fries, um, approximately every two or three weeks. So at the moment, um, we're getting very busy. So these are one of those big standard shipping containers? Yes, the freezer containers, freezer reefers, yeah. And you've got the order for the Olympic Games? Um, how that happened is, um, obviously the mince is listed in the 3663 catalogue. Um, we had to go through the World Anti-Doping Authorities legislation because athletes can be disqualified if anything is found in their system that might imply that they'd been taking um, substances to improve their performances. Fries is a plant-based product. It's GM-free. Uh, it's totally vegan. So, um, you know, the, the mince was approved for um, the, the Olympic menu and 3663 will be supplying it to any of the caterers who, who want to serve it at the Olympics. I always thought of fries as made in the UK because I've never seen the brand in the US. What does shipping from South Africa do to their eco-cred? Lisa told me it was the most environmentally friendly way, a lot better than flying. So the, the mince takes a week to get made, then three weeks to ship to an English port, and then driven to their warehouse or their catering distributor in the middle of England, and then, hopefully, to the Olympics. But apparently not to me. Before I stock up on vegan junk food and hide from the Olympics in Portsmouth, if you really must support someone, and almost all athletes are supported by some kind of company, you might as well support people on the basis that they're sponsored by vegan companies. One of the people in Pogo Cafe told me that he didn't agree with nationalism. Perhaps vegan sponsorism would be better. Well, that does sound kind of capitalistic. But I could support the American rowing teams. Says the American... No, they're officially powered by a new vegan snack from Philadelphia, confusingly called Perfect Snick, which is Q-U-E. It sounds kind of French. Secondly, you could support the American water polo team. Go USA! What's vegan about them? Well, apparently their hair products are Malibu Sea, which is vegan, although uh, I've never heard of them and I don't know why you need hair care products for water polo. You're getting wet in all the time. Lots of washing. It's really hard on the hair, apparently. <laughs> if you had any, you'd know. <laughs> Anyone not American? Simon Whitfield, Canadian triathlete, is powered by the protein and quite a lot of the nutrition advice of vegan endurance athlete Brendan Brazier. And of course, there's veganish Venus Williams and her supportive sister Serena. Nice alliteration there. We'll post and blog if we discover any other vegan Olympians or Paralympians. We need your help with that. Your news is appreciated. We hope that this podcast gave you some more information that might help you enjoy the games or explain why you were hiding from them under a rock. Thank you for listening. Um, particularly welcome if this is your first episode. We've covered lots of topics. Politics, lab meat, peace on earth, digital vegans, the medieval Arab vegan poet. We've interviewed vegan politicians, Peter Singer, Gareth Antillon, adults about vegan childhoods. Informative and entertaining and short. We are the rainbow sprinkles on your audio cupcake. So please press subscribe. Follow us and tweet us at Vegan Option on Twitter.
You can like us and comment at facebook.com slash veganoption and leave a comment about the show or the Olympics at theveganoption.org. Rob Masters wrote the music. I'm Diana Fleischman with comment, analysis, and a mint shortage. And I'm Ian McDonald, reporting and producing. Copyright us.